Hi everyone, welcome to this week's broadcast of Water Wind Wine Ministries. For the last several weeks, we have been studying the story of the prodigal son from a slightly different perspective. This week will be the final chapter in our study of the prodigal son. Again, I have my husband Heath here so that he can draw on the anointing that's on the inside of me so that you can see that. In the last few sessions, we've discussed basically the prodigal son and the younger son. It's the same son. And how he is a reflection of a greasy grace Christian or a Christian who's living under the New Testament who has all of their sin forgiven and has been very flippant with his relationship with God. And so now we're on the story of the older son, the older brother. And I'm going to read chapter 15 of Luke, and I'm going to read from verse 25 all the way to the end of the chapter. And then we're going to go back and discuss everything, okay? So here we go. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours has come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So, everything from the first four sessions should have told you that these two boys represent types of Christians. The younger, as I've just mentioned, represents a Christian who's living in greasy grace. The older represents a Christian who's living legalistically. Now, what do I mean by legalistically? Legalistic, legalistic Christianity refers to Christianity that's basically based in the Old Testament. In other words, there are 631 commandments in the Old Testament of you shall not do this or you shall do this. And what legalistic Christians do is they cling to those commandments because they want a sense of control. They don't like somebody else being in control of whether they get blessed or not. And the reason that they don't is because they're used to people kind of shortchanging them. They're used to people not doing what they say they're going to do. They're not used to the Father. And so when they come into a relationship with the Father, immediately they want to control that relationship. And what they do is they say, well, I went to church, you know, every time the doors were open and I read my Bible and I prayed and I didn't cuss and I didn't beat my spouse and I didn't, all these things that the Bible says not to do, you know, and they just start with the Ten Commandments, but there's, like I said, 631 of them. And so they do all of these things and they think, well, God has to bless me now. And that's what a legalistic Christian is. And you can see that in the story of the older son. He is really a legalistic Christian. He is saying, I'm in the field. The field in this story represents the work of the Lord. In other words, the ministry. And so he's out working. It represents toil and work. And he is working for his father instead of just enjoying his father like the younger son is. 
And so he's out there working. Remember last time I told you that when the younger son came, he offered to work for the father and the father wouldn't even have it. He just immediately gave him authority. He never had to work for it or anything. But the older son wasn't around when the younger son came back in. So the older son comes in from the field and he asks the servant what's going on. Now I want you to think about the servant in this way. I want you to think about the servant as the Holy Spirit. Because see, the servant is the one who gave the robe to the father to put on the son. And the servant is the one who gave the shoes to the son to put to put on his feet and the ring to put on his finger. And the servant is the one actually manifesting the will of the father. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the Christian. He's the one who actually manifests the will. You know, Jesus left and he left the Holy Ghost in charge on earth. And he said that we would have power when the Holy Spirit came upon us. So the, the Spirit moving through us is how we actually manifest the will of God. And so that's what we see in the story of the prodigal son. Is The servant in the story of the prodigal son, I want you to think about him as the Holy Spirit. So the older brother, who's the legalistic Christian, comes and he says, what's going on? And he hears all this partying, and he hears all this joy, and he hears all this noise. And the Holy Spirit, the servant, says, your father has received your younger brother alive, and so he's killed the fatted calf for him. He's celebrating. Now, the fatted calf is something that they reserved for dignitaries for their best celebration of the year. They only had one. Notice it's the fatted calf, not a fatted calf. I've worked on a lot of ranches, and we've sold our cattle and we as the ranch owners or the ranch employees have kept one calf for ourselves that we could slaughter and eat and so that's kind of what this is you slaughter it and that's the only one you have because it takes a really long time to fatten another calf up so they only have one and so it's it's this big deal okay and so what I want you to think about in terms of the party and killing the fatted calf and all of that I want you to think about that in terms of the manifest blessings. Now, I told you that the Spirit was represented by the servant. And if that's so, and the field is the toil, and the older brother is a legalistic Christian, then the party and the joy is the actual manifestation of the will of the Father. It's the joy of the Lord. And that's what gives us strength. Because he's in there, he's eating, He's having a good time. He's being received by his father. Notice that it's with other servants. In other words, it's with other people in his father's household. And now, if you're if you're human like I am, <laughs> you would think that if you're having a party, you'd want your friends there. So when the older brother says, I never made merry with my friends, that's a really human response. That's a really fleshy response. But the younger brother is just happy to be in the father's presence. Okay, and he's just happy to be in the Father's good graces, as it were. And that's really significant because what happens is a legalistic Christian wants to show off in front of their friends. Notice that the older brother didn't ask for the fatted calf. He asked for the goat so he could make merry with his friends. Why did he want to make merry with his friends? Because he wanted to show off. The goat being killed symbolizes the legalistic Christian showing a sense of false humility. In other words, what he's doing is he didn't go to the Father and he didn't say, well, you never gave me the fatted calf. He says, you never gave me even a goat. 
And so he's, he's playing this false humility card. And that's what happens with legalistic Christians is they think I've done all this stuff and I'm just asking for the bare minimum. I'm not even asking for the whole party with the best that you have. He says, I'm asking for the minimum. And this is what is created in the heart of a legalistic Christian. I'm going to get to all this that's created in his heart in just a second. We're going to finish the story. But so the servant comes out, the Holy Spirit talks to the legalistic Christian's heart and he says, your father is happy because he's come home. And all of a sudden, this legalistic Christian gets really mad. And he won't go in. His act of his will, he is not experiencing the fullness of the giftings and the callings of God or even the blessings of God. If this party and this joy represent healing and peace and joy and provision and prosperity, all of those things are things that in the world you have to earn. And so the older brother is angry that the younger brother didn't earn those things. He's angry that they were just given to him because his father's so good. So what happens is his father knows that he's outside and that he won't come in. How did he know? Because the servant talks to the father and it's not written explicitly in the story, but of course that's how he knows. And so the father comes out just like the father will go to a legalistic Christian just like he will to a graceful Christian and he'll go and he'll say please come in please believe in my healing please believe in my provision please believe in my prosperity and my joy please believe in it and notice the reaction of the older brother he gets really angry and he says I've worked all this time for you and you've never even killed the goat for me so that I can make merry with my friends so now what is he doing he's pointing out what he's done right and then he's pulling the false humility card. And then he starts to attack the grace-filled Christian. He starts to attack his younger brother. He says, but this son of yours, who's wasted your livelihood with harlots and prodigal living, he comes back and you give him a party. What happens with a legalistic Christian is they become really judgmental and self-absorbed. Legalism forces you to look at all of the good things you've done. That's its nature. Its nature is to say, oh, you did this and this and this and this and this. And the reason that we like that is because that's how human nature is. In the world, we get props, we get promotion, we get respect for all of the things we accomplish. You know, you know this, I write to-do lists. I don't do it as much as I used to, but I have been a big proponent of to-do lists. And I'll have a to-do list that's like 25 things long. And I'll just like get more stamina and more joy the more I cross off of that to-do list. The happier I am with myself when I'm just crossing things off my to-do list. It makes me feel good about myself. And I think a lot of people are like that. I, th I think a lot of people recommend you do that so that you can feel good about yourself. But that's how the flesh is. That's a very soulish response. But God says, come to me and I'll just give it to you. It would be like submitting your to-do list to God and him just accomplishing all of it. He does that. He works with you to do it in real life. But basically he's doing all of it. You know, and so some people can't handle that. And most people who can't handle that are people who are legalistic. They want to have control. This is a symptom of a legalistic Christian. They have control issues. 
they want to be in control of their own life. They want to be in control of their own destiny. You find this a lot with legalistic Christians not believing in healing. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, well, how did that tumor fall out of your body? And how did you see people who were on death's door recover? Or how did you get a heartbeat back for somebody who had no heartbeat? All I say is that I prayed and had faith in the name of Jesus, and that's what happened. But somebody who is a legalistic Christian will say, well, that scientifically that's not actually possible and da 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 da. They'll go through this whole thing. Or they'll get sick and immediately they'll say, well, my body is doing thus and so and so I've got to ride it out or I've got to take this medication or that medication because if I don't, then nothing's going to happen. See, that's a symptom of being legalistic. Now, am I against medication or doctors? Absolutely not. But I think that when you rely on that solely, you are legalistic. When I take medication, it is the very last thing I do. If I am fighting a faith fight, if I get attacked by the enemy with a cold, with a pain, with a headache, whatever, I will fight a faith fight for a really long time. And I get so busy, I don't have time to sit for eight hours and fight the faith fight. You know, and sometimes I have got to not be in the symptoms of that anymore. So I'll take a piece of a little bit of medication and I'll say, Lord, I know that this hasn't healed me. You have healed me. But I take this medication just to get rid of the symptoms because I can't deal with it. And I, I every time, and honey, you know this, every time I do that, the minute I get the medication down my throat, instantly I'm better. Instantly. And I wonder often why I even take the medication in the first place. But I rely on God. And so I'm not against medication or that, you know, but what I'm saying is that when you're legalistic, you have a tendency to want to control things. And when you want to control things, you don't receive the blessings of God and the provisions of God and the complete shalom of God freely. You always think, I've got to do something. I've got to be something. I've got to this. I've got to that. And that is not what God says. So what we are told by the prodigal son is that he becomes, he's legalistic, he's controlling, he's self-absorbed, and he's judgmental. He comes against his younger brother, telling his father what he did wrong. Have you ever, I know I have, been jealous of somebody who, I mean, I've seen baby Christians who have been heroin addicts just come to God and immediately they can walk in prophecy. I mean, just boom, you know, and you're going, hey, you know, and I've gone to, I've gone to God. When I was a younger Christian, I would go to God and I would say, Lord, why did they have this immediate ability to walk in prophecy? And I didn't, and I've done all this stuff and they've done all this stuff. It, it's because I'm being judgmental. And, and the real heart of it is that I just want to be able to do what they do, but I have to get past my own self focus. I have got to actually trust God. You know, there are only two commandments given to New Testament believers, and they are to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's number one. And number two is to love one another as he gave his commandment. Those are the only two. The reason that there are only two is because if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has already done everything, and you are as he is in this world, then you have already accomplished everything. It's already been accomplished through you. Everything in, in Him is yea and amen. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places affecting earth. 
And so really, we don't believe that in Jesus Christ and that everything he accomplished when we're a judgmental Christian. Because we're still trying to earn our salvation. We fool ourselves into thinking, oh, I believe that Jesus Christ has saved me and that he's died for my sins. And yet we go on trying to die for our own sins. We're like, well, I promise I'll never do that again. So to make up for it, I'm going to have to say this many Hail Marys. Or I promise I'll never do that again. So to make up for it, I'm going to have to read my Bible. Or to promise I'll never do that again. So to make up for it, I'm going to go to church 25 times this week. Or I'm going to give extra to the poor or to the tithe plate when it comes by. We make up all these rules that God didn't put on us, that we put on ourselves, because we want to be Jesus Christ. So we are not believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an Old Testament legalistic believer. And that's what the older son is. And I think it's very telling, metaphorically speaking, how it's the older son and the younger son. Because the older son represents the older mindset. He represents the old wineskins. He represents the Old Testament. The younger son represents what Jesus died to give us. And so in the parable of the prodigal son, we have the entire gospel story from start to finish. He was dead. He was resurrected, right? And even at the very end, the father says, my son was dead and now he's come to life again. It is the entire gospel story. And as the entire gospel story, it warns us of the two ends of the spectrum that we could find ourselves at. We can find ourselves so thankful for grace that we forget to walk in grace and to honor our Father. And so we go off and we waste what He's given us. Or we find ourselves so legalistic because we don't really actually believe that He loves us that much. And so it's the entire gospel story. Because remember, Jesus Christ became sin for us. So when I said just a second ago that he died and he was rose again, like, a, like the Father said at the last verse, don't think that, that Jesus went out there and sinned and wasted the gift of the Father, the livelihood of the Father on prodigal living. No, 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 he became us. As, as Chris Valentin said, he didn't die just for us, he died as us. And he did die as us, and we died with him on the cross. So if he's resurrected and is back in the Father's house, then we are resurrected and back in the Father's house. And so what my caution to you is, and, and the word of the Lord really came to me strong about this. Everyone actually just wants to be loved and just wants to be blessed. That's what people want. They, want, they don't want to go through hardships in their life. They don't, they don't want to struggle. And even if they do struggle, they actually want to, to learn the right mindset after the struggle. Like nobody likes becoming more bitter. <laughs> you know, nobody likes becoming a bigger jerk. Everybody actually does want to grow, but almost no one does. And the reason that most people don't is because when they hear the word of God preached to them, they don't apply it to their lives. So when I've told you this entire story of the prodigal over the last five weeks, I know that there are things, honey, that have affected you, that you've, that you've learned. But I want you to take a few minutes this week and think about what I've spoken to you, what the Lord has spoken to you through me. Are you a Christian who's just sinning, 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 knowing that grace has got you covered? Are you 
a Christian who's saying, I've never done anything wrong. And you find yourself judging other people and you find yourself jealous of other people and you find yourself going to God, accusing other people of being less than you and therefore undeserving of the blessings of God. Or are you balanced? Are you balanced? Have you come back? You've received your authority back. You're good. You're in the house with the joy and you're receiving all the blessings. Where are you in the story of the prodigal son? And if you're not balanced, where can you make up that balance? So I'm going to pray right now. I normally don't do this, but I'm going to pray for my husband and I'm going to pray for you too. So this goes for anybody who watches this video. Father, I praise you and I thank you for the hearts of all of these people. I thank you for what you're doing in all of their lives. Father, I thank you for opening their eyes of understanding that you make known to them where they are in the story of the prodigal son. And Father, I ask you to help them walk in courage to get where they need to be in the story of the prodigal son. Father, I thank you for revelation knowledge. I thank you for giving them everything that they could ask or need in this life. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, you guys, I'm going to wrap it up for now. I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. I don't know what we're going to preach on next week, but stay tuned and we'll see. Remember that I love you and that Jesus loves you.